Discover community. Find hope and experience God. This is Discovering Hope. Well, I want to turn your attention back to the book of Ephesians, and we'll just do a little recap. I I have to confess, I did something last week that I did not recognize at the moment would reverberate the way it has. I can't tell you how many times I've either heard a parent come to me and complain about their child, or other people through emails, text messages, uh, phone conversations, and in person look at me and say, but why? At every turn, in fact, I was at the mayor's prayer breakfast this week, and at one point the speaker said, and all God's people said, and a colleague leaned over and said, but why? I'm apologizing, but you, and you have re-traumatized me. Thank you for that. But a quick recap so we understand why we're here, and we'll find out there's actually one more that we'll unpack this morning. Last week, we discussed Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, and we learned that God gave leaders to the church to equip the saints for works of service, to prepare the people, the people of the church, to go out into the world and accomplish the mission. And with the result that we would all grow into the unity of faith, or unity of faith and unity of knowledge, and ultimately to attain to the full measure of the stature of Jesus. And there's one more, but why? And I won't ask you to do it. But at the end of that sentence, or at the end of that phrase, you might say, but why? And Paul pens these words, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What a poignant thought for today's time. I don't believe that in any way I am unique. In fact, I would guess all of you could repeat this story in some form or another. But I want to let you know a little bit about how much trouble I'm in given the last 24 months of my life. It turns out that I have several, I think up to eight relatives who have millions of dollars in an African bank account that they desperately need to forward to me here in America so I can hold it for them until they can retrieve their funds again. And it will only cost me a few thousand dollars. I'm considering. It turns out, as I continue to, cons- to consume all this information, that I also have royal lineage that if only why I will take the time to examine and explore, there might be some great benefits coming to me here in the near future. I don't know how long it's going to last from here at Hope, honestly, when I consider just how much money and what position I'll be holding soon. Sure. On the downside, um, there are probably police coming to this facility right now for two reasons. One is my social security number has already been canceled. And it turns out, in a year I didn't even remember having to pay taxes, I have $3,500 in back taxes owing that if I don't pay immediately, like this afternoon, I will probably be in prison by nightfall. I got a lot going on. I mean, on the upside, turns out that in Pembina, there are a lot of singles looking for people just like me. (laughs) You didn't get those? Yeah. (laughs) What can I say? 
You know, that scares me that there's three or four people looking at their phones right now going, oh my goodness, I'm a sucker. (laughs) I didn't realize. (laughs) And that's just the obvious stuff. Turn on your television or don't. But turn on the television, scroll the internet, listen to your leaders, your political leaders, spin facts and figures to say something and very often things they were never meant to say. Unfortunately, Consider some of the religious leaders in a country like this one speaking things that aren't exactly true, that may have a kernel in truth in them, but have completely distorted what is real and what is not. Never mention your friends, your coworkers, your family, everything that you read on the internet. And we live in a time where we are ripe for losing the battle between reality and fiction. Mark my words, in the coming weeks, as a potential Supreme Court decision starts becoming more public than it already has, and you will see sides of the argument spin reality into such a convoluted mess, it will be hard to determine what is true and what is not. And the question becomes to me, how do you live in a world like this? lump it all together and I can't think of a time in our lives when we were more ripe, like I said, for losing the battle between truth and fiction. And by the way, I've only just mentioned the messages that are coming from external sources into your life. Never mind that little voice inside your soul, inside your heart, that is constantly feeding your brain messages about who you are your ideas of self, your self-concept. It's feeding you messages about what God thinks of you, your relationship with God. And we are literally bombarded with messages and schemes and deceitfulness and craftiness. Perhaps what we need this morning is something called truthing. Truthing is not a particularly good English word. In fact, I doubt that it's an English word at all, but it is a perfectly fine Greek word. True thing is to live in the truth in a biblical, godly way so that we are not pushed around by either external or internal deceit. True thing is a verb in the Greek. It's not just believing ideas. It is committing to those ideas and acting on them. It's a, it's a two-part kind of word. We see three elements of this word in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. After he said, so that you will not be children tossed to and fro by the waves, he says this, rather, here's the opposite, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Truthing has three elements. And much like any kind of cake or uh, a product that you would bake or make in the kitchen, all of the elements, all of the ingredients have to be present. We, we're kind of confused about truth at times. In our minds, truth is just something up here. It's not something that you do. It's not a way that you act. And yet the biblical writers are saying, no, no, truth is never just something that you believe. That is true in the Old Testament. That is true in the New Testament. In fact, there are at least three elements. Let's unwrap them this morning. The first one is what we commonly understand as truth. But when we put it in the context, when we couch it in the context of the biblical writers and and Paul in Ephesians, truth is understood this way. Truth thing means the relentless pursuit of reality despite the struggle. In a simple way, truth 
is that which is real. And if I'm being very, very blunt, what is real is often less pleasant than what is not real. Making this idea of truthing and pursuing the truth at all times somewhat of a struggle. Truthing means the relentless pursuit of reality despite the struggle. Why is it such a struggle? As we did a number of, as we did a number of weeks ago, we need to let the camera pan out a little and start pulling in more of Scripture since Ephesians is very basic. Paul just says something about truthing. But here's what we find out as we get that camera out a little further. Part of the struggle for living in reality is because there is a power at work in this world whose primary focus is to pull people away from Jesus. As much as the mission of the church is to encourage people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, there is a power at work that is trying to pull people further and further away from Jesus, you included, myself included, and the primary tool that the devil uses to do that is deceit. There's an interesting exchange in John chapter 8 where Jesus is yet again being confronted by the religious leaders who are uncomfortable with his claims about his authority, uncomfortable with his claims about himself. They are uncomfortable with all of his claims. Now, start reading into what's happening. His claims about reality. They are uncomfortable with his claims about truth. And this is the exchange after they've, they've gone back and forth for a while. Jesus says these words to him in John chapter 8. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You can't handle the truth. Mm. You cannot deal with reality. Why? Because you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Think about the power that is at work in this world. Think about the power that is at work in your life and my life, trying to draw us away from Jesus. And his primary tool is Deceit, lies, when the devil speaks, when his lips move, he is speaking deceit. It's because it is who he is. And then Jesus makes this bold claim. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus says to the religious leaders of his time that the devil is in the most literal sense hell-bent on deceiving you and drawing you away by his lies and getting you to pull away from Jesus. And you'll notice that Jesus didn't say, you're not believing me despite the fact that I'm telling the truth. Did you catch what Jesus said? He says, you're not believing me because I'm telling you the truth. Understand the power of that statement. If Jesus had fed them lies, they would have been in hook, line, and sinker. And they would have been exactly what Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 4. Children tossed about by the waves of changing philosophies and ideas. But because he spoke the truth, they would not believe him. Why is it a struggle to continue to pursue reality? Because there's a power desperately trying to pull you away from what is true. 
More than that, and what's worse, is that reality can be very painful. And so it is our human nature when we see what could come. Should we accept the truth? Should we accept the reality that is in front of us is our human nature wants us to pull back. We would far rather, when it comes to some of the internal messages, live in pleasant ideas about ourselves. We would far rather live in pleasant ideas about the world around us than admit that what we see in here and what we see out there is a little painful. It's a little abrasive. It's a little harsh. How are you today? I'm fine. I get it. It's polite. It's a greeting. It's what we do. But if you've watched the Italian job, you know that fine actually means freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. What do you really mean? How do you really approach the question, how are you, when someone sincerely does want to know, how are you? Would you rather live in the world where you're fine? And I'm not really going to go there because reality's a little abrasive. Reality's a little painful. Reality's a little ugly. And I prefer that you don't know, and quite honestly, I'm doing my best not to know myself. Completely the opposite message of what Paul is implying. Truthing is the relentless pursuit of reality despite the struggle. A few weeks ago, I was starting to see forecasts about three feet of snow in the end of April, rain and floods. Um, I'm sick of winter. I'm sick of water at that point, and it's been a month since then. I didn't know how to cope, so I did something very simple. I pretended it wasn't real. It's really easy. People walked into the store, said, hey, I hear you're getting four feet of snow. Nope, not happening. Sounds like you're going to quite the flood. Nope, stop talking. If you don't talk about it, it won't happen. It's real great customer service, just so you know. It's not happening. I was kidding, kind of. But in my mind, there was this tiny little hope that maybe if I just pretended long enough, it would just go away and not be real. Turns out, I was wrong. Obviously. Now, imagine if the people who have to prepare for snowfalls and rains and floods did the same thing. Uh, you're going to get a flood. Nope, not happening. You should probably put the dike walls in. Nope, don't need to. It's not going to flood. What a disaster that would have been. Why do we think that it's different when reality is somewhat ugly, somewhat difficult, somewhat challenging, maybe even abrasive, hurtful, or shameful, and we pretend that it's not real? Truthing demands that we pursue reality with relentlessness you know what else Jesus said as he approached the Pharisees and they were confronting him about the truth? Do you know what else he said? He says this. When you pursue reality, when you do this with the Holy Spirit and Jesus as part of your life, he said very simply in John chapter 8.32, the truth will set you free. And later he says, when the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I remember being boys, in boys' club as a kid. I was probably about 
11 or 12 years old and we made leather belts and we had these leather stamps and punches and we made designs and pictures on these belts. This was the craft. I am not a crafty person. I have no tolerance or patience for crafty things, but I was doing this project. And about 12 minutes into this thing, this thing is ugly. It's just an unmitigated disaster. And I'm starting to feel really, really bad about myself. And I looked up at one of the leaders and I said, this is ugly. You know what he said? Yep, it sure is. (laughs) And then he looked at another leader and laughed. And I went, ouch, that hurt for a second. But you know what happened about three seconds later? I was free. It didn't matter. And I knew it didn't matter. And suddenly the truth about the reality that I'm not a particularly crafty person in just a moment as a child hit me and I was like, okay, good. Well, then I can do what I want and when it's ugly, I'll just be done and it'll be fine. The truth has a way of freeing us from captivity. When we speak it to ourselves, when we understand it in our own lives, and when we speak it to others. But truthing isn't just about knowing stuff up here. It's not just about knowledge. That's where we started. Truthing has many elements. The second of what we'll discover today is love. Truthing doesn't just mean the relentless pursuit of reality despite the struggle. Truthing means the relentless pursuit of relationships despite the struggle. Did you catch what he said so simply in chapter 4 verse 15? Back to Ephesians. He says this, rather speaking the truth internally and externally, how? In love. Again, it's fascinating to me to dig into the whole of scriptures and see how across the board the Old Testament writers and the New Testament writers and authors were far more concerned with how you lived than what you believed. Now, hear me out. It's almost as if they understood that if you lived the right way, if you did the right things and you did them from the right heart, then it was obvious to conclude that you must know the right things, that the proof of what you believed was going to come out in how you act. They could not not separate truth from love. Please don't hear me to saying that knowing stuff, that you don't have to know the Bible, you don't have to have good theology, all of that's very important. But good knowledge, understanding the truth and pursuing truth and reality in the absence of love is useless. It's completely useless. Is that too strong a statement? I don't think so. In fact, I actually think we're just repeating what we learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you do all of this stuff, and he lists a whole host of activities, one of them could have been if you pursue reality relentlessly and and go for the truth and, and don't settle for anything less than the truth, but you don't do it in the confines of loving relationships and treating others with respect and loving kindness, what are you? Nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. Every time I read that passage, I think of a five-year-old or a three-year-old child sitting at the table with a dinner plate and a spoon going, ding, 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 ding. 
And I imagine there's the person who has all of the knowledge but has no concept of how to communicate the truth and pursue reality with him or herself and others outside pursuing relationships that primarily demand love. Proverbs says it in a, similar, or in, a, in a different kind of way, but ultimately the same idea. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I challenge you to dig into the book of Proverbs and find out just how often it speaks about wisdom. It is not primarily talking about just what's up here. It's talking about understanding who you are in relationship to God and then operating out of that position where you are you and God is God. And it is not the wise man who knows stuff. It is the wise person who understands who they are in relationship with God and acts accordingly. Why do you think it was so easy for Jesus to say, you want to sum up the entire law and, the, and all of the commandments? It's easy. Love God and love your neighbor. Paul went one step further. He just said, love your neighbor. Why? Because it wasn't important to love God? No, because if you loved your neighbor, you were obviously loving God because the only kind of people who love their neighbor well are those that also have a deep heart and a passion to love God. Truthing means the endless pursuit of our relationships despite the struggle. There is a reason the mission statement of this church says we will be a people who will let God love them, who live in reality. God loves you, period. We are a people who will love God in return. Why? Because we live in reality. The reality has set us free to love God in a way we never could have if we had not been in relationship with Him living in reality. And last but certainly not least, we will be a people who love others in Jesus' name with the truth in one hand and love for a neighbor in the other. Everywhere you look in the scriptures, love is held up as the umbrella under which all truth can function. Truth without love is useless. Love without truth isn't love. First John chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. You cannot have truth in the absence of love and you cannot have love in the absence of truth. If you have the right knowledge but cannot communicate it in love, according to Jesus at least, you're a victim of the father of lies. Back to when I was a kid, making this really ugly leather belt, which I'm sure my mother kept because... She's my mom for years. In fact, if I asked her, I bet you she'd find it today. Note to self, find ugly belt. As a grown man looks over my shoulder and he says, yeah, that is ugly. Wow, you're bad at this. I have to process something. That was the truth. That was reality. But do you understand what abstract character was happening in the background I trusted him I knew he cared about me I don't even remember who the man was at this point in my life but I absolutely trusted that he had my best interests in mind 
when he looked at another leader and they chuckled, it wasn't, what a stupid kid. It was complete love. And in the presence of love, truth is liberating. I'm not a particularly crafty person is what I figured out in that moment, and it's totally okay. Because my value does not depend on me making a nice belt. Thank Jesus. And I understood it, not just because they were speaking the truth, but because they did it in the context of a relentless pursuit of relationships. On a Wednesday night at the table study, we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And the conclusion that was drawn out of that evening was that any time we are speaking or disciplining or holding others to the standard of truth, there is one singular goal. It is to draw them into relationship with Jesus or draw them back into relationship with Jesus. It is to reconcile them to God. It is to bring them into restoration. A great question we ask ourselves when we are convicted that the truth must be spoken. And of course, this is no easy task. This is no easy game, which is why the third element of this truthing, this living in reality, this relentless pursuit of relationships also then becomes maturity. Truthing means the relentless pursuit of Jesus since he is the only avenue to maturity despite the struggle. Rather, speaking the truth in love, he writes, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in every way, where? Into Him, Jesus, who is the head, into Christ. You see, ultimately your ability to be this kind of truther, this kind of person who pursues reality despite the struggle, who pursues relationships despite the struggle, doesn't so much depend on your effort as much as it depends on your willingness. Your willingness to be completely submissive to the desire of God. Your willingness to let go of some of the ideas that you hang on to so tightly, both about yourself and about others, and the willingness to see them as Jesus sees them, to walk with them as Jesus walked with them, and kind of relent of some of the ideas that you have and love them through it. Here's the scariest part of all, and this is why it requires so much maturity. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says that we should not uh, be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When we submit ourselves, and this is the scary part, when we submit ourselves to the work of God, when we allow the Holy Spirit into our lives to start shaping how we think and how we treat others and how we respond to others and how we think about ourselves, when we allow God to do that work in us, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We will start thinking differently. Here's why it's scary. When you start thinking differently, you come to a point where you realize you were wrong. I can look at all the moments in my life, some of the toughest moments and the worst part about those toughest moments is the ultimate realization that I believed a lie. 
And as God unpacks some of that deceit, there's some shame. There's some hurt. There's some regret because I've treated others in a way that wasn't loving, that wasn't real, that wasn't truthful. I've treated myself in ways that weren't real, that denied the truth. Truthing ultimately means pursuing Jesus with reckless abandon for your pride, your hurt, your shame, or your guilt. Truthing, truth, love, and maturity, inextricably linked elements that when pursued will allow you stability and strength and power to live within a very deceitful world. Paul says this as he wraps up this particular passage. He says, in this place, the whole body, all of us, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Can I leave you with a challenge? Will you consider this week how to allow God to work more deeply in your heart? Will you consider diving more deeply into your relationship with God, giving Him access to parts of your heart that you've never opened up to Him before? And that applies if you're coming to Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. We all protect this thing carefully. Will you allow God to dive in there a little deeper? Will you take a step back and consider your relationships with others and your ideas of truth and how you've communicated them and invested in other people and confronted other people? Will you consider how that might change if you fully comprehended that truth in the absence of love and maturity was useless? The world we live in in some ways is ruled by a power that wants to deceive you and me above all else. And as a result, demands that we as the the followers of Jesus continue to strive for the stability and the strength that is found in truth, in love, and maturity. Amen.